We may be about to witness a surprise red wave in November. Not only will Donald Trump landslide, but the House will flip Republican. The Senate will stay Republican and the Republicans will control every branch of the government. Now, you must be saying, surely you jest, Tim. The polls are all favoring Democrats. Joe Biden's the favorite. The Democrats are favored to win back the House. They could maybe even win back the Senate. And you're right. That's true, too. You see, the reality is the polls are almost meaningless. The swing between one poll to the next, I can't even track anymore. I saw the story from The Hill, from Fury. A surprising Republican wave election could be looming. And I thought to myself exactly what I just said. No way. Come on. How many people are going to try and say Trump's going to win? Trump's going to win. But the polls are favoring the Democrats. So I started looking at the polls and they're meaningless. I mean, most of them. You got one poll, it's like Trump minus 17, another poll, Trump plus three. No one has any idea about what's to come in November, especially with the mail-in voting fiasco. So I decided to ignore the polls and look at general sentiment. And what did I find? There are a lot of jurisdictions, a lot of districts and areas where support is for Trump. I recall that story from CNN from a little while ago. It was a Democrat stronghold. They had visited and found that even though these locals were going to vote Democrat in local elections, they were supporting Trump as president. And now we're seeing similar things in many different states. It it appears in Ohio. We're seeing it in Minnesota. In fact, NBC News ran a story saying Trump could win Minnesota, lose three other major states, major swing states, and still beat Joe Biden so long as his other 2016 victories stay with him in 2020. Well, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I'd like to entertain some ideas as to why we may actually be looking at a looming red wave and Trump victory. I'm not going to be stupid enough to make this bold prediction like the Republicans will absolutely win. But I want to look at these polls, talk to you about why I just don't believe it, and then show you some stories which suggest we may actually be looking at a Republican victory. See, the media is doing the exact same thing they did back in 2015 and 2016. They haven't learned anything. And if we follow the polls like we did back then, it's possible that even though Trump is not favored to win, he still will win. But I do think that regular people are flipping for Trump in a lot of different ways. Notably, Time Magazine uh, has a story about fringe conspiracy theories persisting. Now, I wonder if this is just an excuse they're going to try and use when they lose. Oh, all the people who voted for Trump just believe fake news and conspiracy posts on the Internet. And this is true. I've I've personally met people who believe crazy things and support Trump. But this just shows the media has failed and all the more reason not to trust them when their polls come out and say Donald Trump is up, down, left, right. None of it even makes sense, does it? So I look at sentiment. How many signs have you seen for Joe Biden? They exist. I've seen one in, in, in person, but I've seen more Trump signs than I can count. How many Biden hats, Biden supporters? Not a whole lot. The enthusiasm gap is a serious problem, and even progressives are pointing it out. This may be a red wave kind of year. So let's first take a look at what John Fury has to say, opinion contributor for The Hill, where he gives some examples of why he thinks there will be a Republican red wave before we get started. However, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's many ways you can give. There's a P.O. box. 
if you'd like to send stuff. But the best thing you can do, share this video. If you think what I'm uh, what I'm saying is reasonable, rational and important, sharing is the best way to support my work because I don't have a big marketing department. I just rely on shares, word of mouth. If you really want to support me and make sure you're getting all the videos I put out, then subscribe, hit the like button, hit the notification bell. Let's read this story from the Hill first and then go through the data. A surprising Republican wave election could be looming. Fury writes, political waves come unexpectedly. That is especially the case when it comes to the House of Representatives. In 1994, nobody expected the House to flip to the Republicans for the first time in 40 years. The contract with America was seen as a curiosity. Rep. Newt Gingrich's vanity project. The media roundly lampooned it, and then November rolled around and history was made. In September 2006, George Bush wasn't that popular. The Iraq War wasn't going that well. But most pundits and most Republicans thought the House would hold. Then the rep, Mark, Mark Foley, are from Florida. Scandal consumed Washington, and Nancy Pelosi was swept in as history's first female Speaker of the House. In September 2010, After the Tea Party summer, the smart set still didn't see how the future would unfold. I remember seeing an analysis from an investment bank which confidently predicted the House would stay in Democratic hands. Oops. The election in 2018, perhaps, was more predictable. The Democrats raised unprecedented gobs of money and mounted unprecedented opposition to the unpredictable presidency of Donald Trump. But that new House majority was built on an unsteady foundation of districts that were initially captured by Trump two years before. Which brings me to my first point. How many of these districts were moderate districts that were looking to a Democrat who would be just outside of the culture war? Please bring back kitchen table issues. We want health care. We want to talk jobs and immigration, not this orange man bad stuff. The joke I often make is that just like Isildur with the one ring in Lord of the Rings, once they got elected and they stood atop uh, Mount Doom, ready to cast Orange Man Bad into the fire, they turned and said, no. Instead, they decided to impeach Donald Trump. Okay, if you don't get the reference, the point I'm making is that we elected these people, the moderates did, because they wanted someone to go in and stop the bickering between Democrat and Republican. Instead, what happened is they got in and as soon as the Democrats had power, they all yelled collectively, orange man bad. Let's spend all our time trying to impeach him, getting very little done. So why would voters still trust them? Maybe they won't. It's just one reason they may feel betrayed and switch back to Trump. Let's read more. Most analysts now believe that Trump will lose his bid for re-election and Pelosi will stay on as speaker. But I wonder if that's true. What are Democrats running on? Well, the smart ones are running on health care, the same issue that carried them to victory in 2018. But the top of the ticket isn't focused on health care. It's focused on hating Donald Trump. Will hating Trump work in districts that went for Trump the first time? I don't know. No, personally, I think no. These were districts that voted for Trump. They didn't hate the man. They wanted results. When they felt like they weren't getting results, they voted in Democrats. The Democrats then tried to impeach Trump. And boy, maybe they'll just sit this one out, in which case Trump's fervent and vocal base will sweep in, giving him the victory. He says it certainly works on raising money from the uber wealthy who despise Trump because he is a traitor to their class. But for normal Americans, those who want to get back to work, those who want their schools to reopen quickly, those who want to be able to dine outside without getting harassed by masked marauders disguised as social justice warriors, those who respect the police and the American flag, hating Trump isn't the main message they want to hear. He goes on to say, I look at the middle of Michigan, 
the 8th and 11th districts. And I see voters who voted for Trump, but also voted for Governor Whitmer. And I wonder if they are so enamored with the ridiculous lockdowns that have closed small businesses and penalized citizens who wanted to visit their cottages and do some recreational boating. The fact that the governor's husband pulled a do you know who I am when he tried to get his own boat only made the situation worse for the Democrats in the Wolverine state. Not just that, but 400,000 people in Michigan have signed a petition to recall Governor Whitmer's emergency or I'm sorry, to repeal Governor Whitmer's emergency powers. Suffice it, suffice it to say, many of these people are not happy. And those people who signed that petition may get out enthusiastically for Donald Trump. He goes on to say, I look at Minnesota's second district and I think how the riots in Minnesota play in a part of the country that values law and order and believes strongly in the ideal of Minnesota's uh, Minnesota nice. They might not love Trump there, but he beat Hillary Clinton by point and a half in the district and Republicans are investing serious resources to win the state for the first time since Nixon in 1972. I look at New Jersey's 7th district and I see a scion of a famous governor running on the Republican ticket in a state that was hard hit by COVID. The current governor has used sky high ratings to consolidate power and push a left wing agenda that is just now starting to garner strong opposition. Trump lost the district by a point and most analysts see Tom Keene losing. But these are the type of districts that move quickly in a wave. The voters are restless to get on with their lives, disgusted by a political class that continually flouts the laws in private as they tout them in public. Pelosi's hairgate is but one example of politicians behaving badly. Joe Biden is all about American calm again as he sluggishly campaigns with his mask and his teleprompter. But if Trump's energy, enthusiasm and vision prevails in November, look for Republicans to catch a ride and recapture the House majority. Waves are hard to see in September, but rise up quickly in November. I decided to look into the polls. Is what he's saying true? Do people really feel this way? It feels like a lot of speculative, I don't know, nonsense. I say similar things. I don't know. The polls say this, but I feel this way. Does it matter how I feel? I mean, kind of. I looked at the polls and the pundits back in 2016, and they said, Hillary, 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 Trump will never win. And I believed it. Now I don't trust him. People bring up a really important point, however. Hillary Clinton was despised, still is, by a lot of people. Joe Biden, not so much. He's not particularly threatening. Some people might actually be okay with sleepy, creepy Joe sleeping in his chair and leaving the job to Kamala Harris. However, as it pertains to Trump and the House, I don't think it matters so much if people are telling everyone they're going to vote Democrat or Republican for congressional candidates. You know why? We just saw a trans Satanist anarchist win the GOP nomination in a, a small jurisdiction because people just check the box for whatever name is on the Republican ticket. OK, now some people are upset, having realized that this individual's slogan for for their campaign was F the police. <laughs> well, what do you expect? You didn't know who you were voting for. But this is still good news for Republicans in the long run, especially in the House. If people just care about Trump, maybe when they're polled, when it comes to the House, they say, I don't know. But when they show up for Donald Trump, they're going to go R, R, R all the way down. And that means the Trump bump, the enthusiasm gap for Trump will benefit everyone down ticket. I looked over to Ohio and I said, show me the polls. What do we got? Morning consult has Trump up five points. Wow. But previously, Rasmussen had Biden up four points. Previous to that, Trump up five, Trump up four. Then before that, Trump up one. 
It goes back and forth. It flip flops, but they're different polls. So I have no idea who is correct. So I decided let's look at the aggregate polling. Well, Rasmussen has Donald Trump plus three. We just look back to Economist YouGov minus 14 or Reuters Ipsos minus 17. So which is it? Okay, okay, hold on. The latest polling is from Rasmussen with plus three. Then Fox News from only a few days before, and it's minus three. So maybe times are changing and Trump is starting to improve, or maybe the polls are meaningless. And maybe basing our predictions on polls that were fairly broken back in 2016, not completely, but not completely accurate. Maybe that's a waste of time for everybody. And what we need to do is look at the actual sentiment of human beings. What do they think and what do they feel? Now, I know pollsters are trying to do that, but maybe they're just doing it wrong. Okay, people said in 2016 that the pollsters were right, but the predictions were wrong. Okay, then maybe the predictions are wrong. Maybe they're still not accurately polling the Midwest. Maybe they're missing Trump's hardcore base, in which case Trump going to win. I tell you this, it's the economy, stupid. At the RCP average, the Real Clear Politics polling average for Donald Trump, He is winning on the economy, and he has basically always been been winning on the economy, except for this period in 2017. Up until COVID hit, he was enjoying ridiculously high polling on on the economy. The only poll in the aggregate right now that has Trump underwater is a left-leaning Democratic research organization with Trump minus two. Grinnell Seltzer has Trump plus 11 on the economy. I'm willing to bet people are going to show up and they're going to say, I just want the cash. I don't care about the social justice. I don't care about Black Lives Matter. Money talks, BS walks. They're going to walk in and say, I know who lined my pocket with gold and it wasn't the Democrats. And there's going to be a lot of people who show up and when they vote, they're going to vote for Republicans on the congressional ticket. You know why? One of the big disadvantages Republicans had in 2018 was that Trump was not on the ballot, meaning when these Democrats showed up to vote, they showed up because they hated Trump. But Trump supporters weren't voting for Trump, so they didn't show up to support the Republicans. And thus, many of the Republicans ended up losing. Let's look at some. Let's take a look at some polls that actually favor Trump. However, this one from NBC News, really, really shocking to me. Check this out. Trump is trying to flip Minnesota. He'll need the Iron Range. The historically blue area with a tradition of organized labor surprised the country when it swung for Trump in 2016. He will need to expand that margin this year. But although the title doesn't say it, they actually point out that Trump is kind of (laughs) probably on track to win Minnesota. Check it out. They say when Norman Johnson started working as a miner on Minnesota's Iron Range in the 1970s, he kept his conservative political views to himself. By the time he retired this summer, he felt comfortable passing out Trump bumper stickers to co-workers and putting campaign signs in his front yard. For a long time, you were hard pressed to find a Republican. Now they're all over the place, said Johnson, 65. Once reliably Democratic and home to strong labor unions, the Iron Range could now help deliver President Donald Trump's Minnesota's 10 Electoral College votes, a flip that could help reelect an incumbent facing difficult prospects in other important states. NBC News says if Trump can flip Minnesota, he could lose Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania to Joe Biden and still get reelected if he holds the rest of his 2016 victories. Maybe you saw the story. 
six cities in the Iron Range endorse Donald Trump for re-election. And you got a guy, testimonial, one guy, sure, says there's Republicans all over the place. That sounds a lot like what other people are saying about seeing Trump flags everywhere. Maybe the sentiment and the anecdotes are better evidence than the pollsters. Maybe not. You know, the plural of anecdote is not data. Just someone telling us a story doesn't mean it's true. But I have to wonder, I really do, because we saw something similar in 2016. I remember hearing a story. Some uh, personalities that I know who work in news and finance had told me that every, they, were, they were living in Europe and everything they saw in the media was everybody hates Trump. They flew back to the US and they landed in North Carolina where they saw nothing but Trump flags and Trump signs. And they thought to themselves, whoa, the media has to be wrong about this. This journalist class must be getting something wrong if all of these flags are everywhere. And uh, yeah, they are. I bring you now to 60 Minutes. Donald Trump's conversations with Bob Woodward about coronavirus, Black Lives Matter, and nuclear war. In taped conversations with a Washington Post journalist, President Trump said he wanted to downplay the severity of the coronavirus. And the recordings reveal the president's view on how close the U.S. came to nuclear war with North Korea. Scott Pelley reports. Scott Pelley reports. Scott Pelley interviews journalist Bob Woodward. Journalist Scott Pelley interviews journalist. Journalist interviews journalist to complain about Donald Trump. Journalists say orange man bad. Is this supposed to convince me? Do I care what the ivory tower elites have to say? I don't. I don't care. When will these journalists learn that they represent this fringe group of privileged elites that do not represent or even understand regular working Americans. <laughs> Apparently, they never will. Because this, I, I, the joke I made was, this is it. The one thing America finally needed to wake up to the horrors of the orange man, a journalist interviewing a journalist complaining about Trump, as if that's something we haven't seen 50 billion times. Oh, we have. The Atlantic is noting it. The media learned nothing from 2016. The press hasn't broken its most destructive habits when it comes to covering Donald Trump. I love how there are like people waving their arms screaming in the media, like some people saying, stop, stop doing these things. You are helping Donald Trump, but they don't listen because they're addicted to him. They are addicted to Trump. They love him. They love to hate him, but it makes them money. They don't want to stop. They can't stop. What do they do? I love hating on the media too. What can I say? The Atlantic says, we're seeing a huge error and a potential tragedy unfold in real time. That's a sentence that could apply to countless aspects of economic, medical, governmental, and environmental life at the moment. What I have in mind, though, is the almost unbelievable failure of much of the press to respond to the realities of the Trump age. Many of our most influential editors and reporters are acting as if the rules that prevailed under previous American presidents are still in effect. But this president is different. The rules are different. And if it doesn't adapt fast, the press will stand as in another institution that failed in a moment of crucial pressure. Let me tell you, you see, they're not saying to the media to get in touch with regular working class people, talk to Americans and be authentic. They're saying, stop playing by the rules. They haven't been playing by the rules, dude. That's the problem, which brings me to one of the most, one of the more hilarious stories we, 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 we've seen yet from Time magazine how conspiracy theories are shaping the 2020 election and shaking the foundation of American democracy. Let me tell you this. 
If the media just played by the rules, reported fairly, stopped editing Trump out of context and screaming orange, bad, orange man bad nonstop and gave him a fair shake on the things he did well and the things he did and, then, and, and the things he did poorly, perhaps the American people would trust the press more. They don't. So what do you get? Conspiracy theories. And this story from Time is actually quite funny. They talk a bit about QAnon. It's kind of silly, though, because some of the people they interview are talking about the problem of trafficking and how the Trump administration, the federal government under Trump is actually rescuing a lot of kids. They then say they're parroting elements of the QAnon conspiracy. You know what? I don't care if they if they're criticizing or insulting Trump supporters as conspiracy theorists for believing things. I think a lot of these conspiracy theories are legit nuts for sure, but I don't care if they're criticizing them. People are going to look at this story and they're going to say, oh, no, Trump supporters are so dumb. So what? They're still Trump supporters. And these and these stories and these theories are animating them to go vote. Right. Maybe this is why we'll see a red wave, because no one trusts the media anymore because they've just they were wrong in 2016 about so much. The pundit class and their falls, they pull Trump quotes out of context. They lie about everybody. They lied about me. If they're lying, why should I believe them? And that leaves that leads people to seek out alternative means of communication, in which case they go online, they talk to other people and they start believing in many different things. Many of these things become unhinged. I don't trust the media. I'm doing air quotes here because I do use mainstream media as sources when I can verify them. It's quite difficult sometimes. But the problem is that you do have a specific Democrat class in the media that seems to just frame everything in a positive light. I'll give you an example. You take Antifa and the Proud Boys. They fight. The reality is the Proud Boys decide to do a First Amendment protest marching around waving American flags. Antifa decides to confront them and start fights. This is a tendency. It's not always, but it typically is the case. Like nine out of 10 times, Antifa, well, actually 10 out of 10 times, it's Antifa showing up to confront Proud Boys who just want to walk around. The fights are nine out of 10 times started by Antifa at that point. What will the media show? Nine out of 10 times, it will show the Proud Boys and claim their far-right extremists starting fight with peaceful protesters. Take a look at the riots. Remember when the MSNBC guy was standing in front of a burning, a burning police station saying it's mostly peaceful? Ah, yes, mostly peaceful. Yeah, serial killers are mostly peaceful too. They only kill a small fraction of the people they come across. And people see this and they're like, what are you talking about? The riots are horrifying. Why can't I get an honest take from the press? You're not going to be able to, unfortunately, because they're more interested in defending at least most of them, not all of them. They're more interested in defending their perspective, their frame of mind, and they are also ivory tower elites. So what do you think happens when you put Bob Woodward and Scott Pelley in, in, in a room together and have them talk to each other? Regular Americans roll their eyes and say, oh, enough already. The orange man is bad. I just don't care. And then people do their own research. Many of these people watch a Trump rally and realize the media has been lying. Some of them go down deep, dark rabbit holes of crazy websites and start reading crazy things and then believe crazy things. But guess what? They're all going to vote for Trump. So what does it matter? You've lost the trust of the people. The establishment is crumbling. The media has failed. And people will believe insane things because of it. But at the end of the day, they're all going to vote for Trump, right? Look, I don't know if there's actually going to be a red wave. I think there are many reasons to suggest that could be the case. But maybe the polls are accurate. I mean, Politico wrote not too long ago that they still can't accurately track Trump's base. 
And if we're looking at a, a huge margin of error of like five points on top of the existing margin of error because they can't track Trump's base, then Trump is winning across the board. Maybe Trump just wins a narrow victory in the Electoral College like he did in 2016. But will the Democrats accept it? That's the scary part. You see, the writer, uh, Fury at the Hill, saying that it may be a surprise to people. It may be a surprise to many of these Democrats, but maybe if you've been paying attention, you expect Trump to do better than they're predicting, probably win. If that's the case, what will Democrats do when they lose and their entire worldview is shattered to a million pieces? It turns out you are not popular. You are not in the majority and you have dedicated your identity and your life to chasing after something unpopular that nobody wants. In fact, you are the fringe. I think they'll have a nervous breakdown and it could end up being really, really bad for a lot of these people and ultimately really bad for us. David Sirota of Jacobin Magazine says you're not being loyal by staying silent as Biden depresses voters. As Biden has ignored the Democratic base, polls now show he faces an enthusiasm gap. Progressive pressure is needed to force him to energize Democratic voters and defeat Trump. I don't know if he's right. I think the far left lurch is costing the Democrats union voters and you know, we're uh, union Democrats. The far left lurch is scaring people away from the Democrats. There's no enthusiasm because the Democrats are split down the middle. How could they possibly win if progressives don't want Biden and they're mad at him and union Democrats, middle of the road Democrats don't want Biden because he's entertaining the far left too much? What do you do? I don't know. But Trump is picking up all the support on the other side. So you know what? Maybe there are many, many reasons to suggest the polls are all wrong. I don't know for sure, but I can add one more time. If we're getting a ridiculous violent swing, minus 17, plus three, minus 14, it could just be that the media news cycle is erratic and insane. So people's opinions are changing like to ridiculous degrees. Or it could be that most people have made up their minds and the polls are bunk, in which case, I'm going to base my expectations off of what I see in the streets. And what do I see? Blue Lives Matter flags, Trump supporter flags. I'm in the suburbs. I'm in a blue suburb. I'm in a Democrat suburb. And I see very few, very, very little support for Biden. But that's the, that's, that's the issue there. The enthusiasm for Trump is more about do you support him or oppose him? There are people who want to enthusiastically oppose Donald Trump, too. So we will see. We'll see who will have the bigger base. I don't know. Uh, for that matter, who's going to cheat? I think it'll probably be the Democrats. So we'll see how it plays out. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastnews. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. The riots that erupted in Lancaster over a man who stormed out of a building waving a knife and screaming, causing a cop to flee, turn and shoot him, resulted in eight arrests and four were from outside the county. The arrests include property destruction, and I believe there were arson charges. Let me just repeat that. A man stormed out of a building, chased after a cop who ran away, screaming and waving a knife. The cop turned and fired in self-defense because a man was chasing him with a knife. And as many of you are probably aware, knives are lethal. Yeah, these, these protests, these riots, the, the, the unrest, it actually is organized. And now we have the leaked documents to prove it. DHS leaked email confirms Antifa is an organized group. Well, let's, let's, let's slow down for a second. It proves that there are organized elements of Antifa. I still want to make sure it's clear. Antifa is an umbrella term for different cells that operate independently, and that's on purpose to protect them. 
They don't want organized leadership because organized leadership can be taken down. For instance, take a look at the Proud Boys. The Proud Boys were often engaging in protests, marching around. Antifa would come out. Fights would ensue. Typically, Antifa was starting the fights. It wasn't always the case, but they were always trying to incite something. The Proud Boys don't typically show up to Antifa locations, although there was one instance where Patriot Prayer showed up to Cider Riot, which was like an Antifa hangout. Anyway, the point is, you had Gavin McInnes. They didn't arrest him or anything. They just smeared and defamed him and targeted him and then used that against all of the Proud Boys. Ultimately, this results in negative press and, well, the press is going to be negative against them anyway. But the idea that Antifa has is you don't, well, actually, I'll put it this way. Antifa actually engages in overt acts of terror and they try to use patsies and willful idiots, useful idiots, right? So uh, a way to explain it is an Antifa guy who actively organizes and tries to sow discord will slowly, you know, slowly slink up to a random person and say, hey, here's a firework. And that we saw, uh, we saw this in Portland. The dude then lobs the firework, it explodes, or it was an explosive. I don't know what it was. And that moron now goes to jail. Then they say the guy who got arrested wasn't Antifa. And then the press defending Antifa says things like Trump's shredding of civil liberties won't stop with Antifa. So what we're seeing from the DHS is they say that there are individuals who are strategizing, who are planning, who find like-minded people and manipulate them. Then we get this story from the New York Times just the other day. An American was killed by federal agents and the president called it retribution. We are so far gone. Yeah, you know what? Listen, I don't like that Trump called it retribution when Reinald was killed. But the official story and story from witnesses, it, it, it wasn't retribution. And I don't think Trump called it retribution. I, I, I think he said there needs to be retribution. No, 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 no. I disagree. There needs to be justice. Retribution is kind of a scary term that usually implies someone asserting moral superiority seeks out some kind of, well, it's not necessarily justice and it's not necessarily revenge. It's retribution, right? It's, it's, it's someone paying the price for being morally wrong or committing some kind of act. And although retribution isn't always necessarily negative, we got to be really careful. No, we want justice. I don't like that this guy, Reinhold, was killed, but I don't like that he stalked and then murdered a Trump supporter. And so he needs to be brought to justice. That means apprehended and we need to put him on trial so we can all see beyond a reasonable doubt exactly what happened. In fact, it was a travesty that this man died. You know why? He escaped justice by doing so. And we needed the public to see who he was, what he represented, what he did, and why he did it. And he's escaped justice. Now, Trump did say retribution. We'll get into that. But the point is, the media overtly defending Antifa at a time when we have leaked DHS emails confirming these people are organized, they are making plans. And you got to understand the reason they operate in this nature of various cells is to mitigate liability. If they were a top down organization, you could go to the top and break them apart, maybe even use RICO conspiracy charges by breaking up and operating independently. They can say, we're not really Antifa. We're the, you know, the, 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 the friendly fun club of, of Lancaster or whatever but they'll fly the flag. They'll have the tattoos. And they know that when it comes to some kind of overt action, they can reach out to local chapters and operate in concert, but still claim there's no unifying body. But it is an umbrella term that they can use to operate under. Now, to be fair, 
Most people use Antifa as an umbrella term for far left extremist. You got to be careful about this because it may be that some of the wildfires have been set by people who align with far left extremists, but might not be smart enough to understand the ideology itself. There was one Black Lives Matter supporter and protester who Cairo 7, the local news outlet said, was a frequent, frequent figure at Black Lives Matter defund the police protests. And he was arrested for reckless burning because cops said they caught him trying to start a fire, a brush fire. When you start saying that all these people are Antifa, well, now Facebook's banning everybody. That's that's absurd. But you'll lump in Black Lives Matter with communists. And that might make sense to a to a certain broad stroke degree. But you got to be specific. You got to be specific because as it turns out, Antifa is organized. So the Black Lives Matter dude starting a fire, not Antifa. He may be at Black Lives Matter protests, but they're distinct. They may share similar ideologies, but they're different groups. It's also important to point out because Black Lives Matter supporters are, op- are, are showing support for an organized, top-down national organization that actually has chapters that communi- like that, that's way more organized, that has a national funding apparatus through Act Blue, the Democrats' fundraising arm. So when you see a Black Lives Matter supporter, you actually can say to Joe Biden, you use Act Blue. Black Lives Matter receives a lot of funding through Act Blue, notably through their, their, fund, uh, their, their parent organization. It's called Thousand Currents. When people donate to Thousand Currents for the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter Global Network, they go through the Democrats fundraising arm. This shows that there is a line from the Democrats, their fundraising apparatus, like political donations. I'm not saying they're all necessarily responsible. They are connected to Black Lives Matter and the supporters of the movement, one of which was caught starting a brush fire, many of which have physically attacked people in the streets and many of which also overlap with Antifa chapters. You can you can draw those lines. Now, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a stretch, but if Black Lives Matter is receiving uh, support, material support through Act Blue, then I think it's worth at least questioning them, saying, if GoFundMe will ban a fundraiser for Kyle Rittenhouse, will Act Blue shut down Black Lives Matter when its adherents are engaging in overt violence in Chicago? That the Chicago chapter is defending the overt violence, not even a, a joke. They said it was reparations when they went out destroying things. And that one of their supporters, a frequenter of their protest, was caught starting a brush fire. Will they denounce that? No. So that's why it needs to be asked. Act Blue should ban these individuals and potentially ban Thousand Currents. Now, I don't know if you should go that far, but a question needs to be asked. If that money is going in any way to the violent extremists who are flying their flag in Portland for 107 days or whatever, their their shields don't say Antifa. The shields say Black Lives Matter. Anyway, let's read the story and see exactly what, what, what this is on about. The Postmillennial reports DHS leaked email confirms Antifa is an organized group. An internal email from the Department of Homeland Security leaked to CBS Catherine Herridge late Monday, detailing that the that the ongoing violence in Portland was not opportunistic, but rather organized, confirming long suspected details about the about Antifa involvement. The email explains that Antifa is organized and runs contrary to reports in the mainstream media that Antifa was not responsible for anti-police violence, but an impromptu movement spurred by an anti-fascist sentiment sentiments held by most of the American public. A recent article in the Washington Post by Mark Bray, author of Antifa, Anti-Fascist Handbook, attempted to dispel myths about Antifa claims that the, that the group is not an organization, but rather a tradition of militant anti-fascism. 
The article disputed claims that Antifa masterminds violence at Black Lives Matter protests. In printed email documents attained by Herridge, the DHS's acting undersecretary for intelligence and analysis, Brian Murphy, wrote to his colleagues on July 25th, detailing his findings of Antifa in Portland. We can see this tweet from Catherine Herridge breaking. According to this DHS Gov internal email obtained by CBS News, former acting undersecretary for intelligence and analysis, Brian Murphy, wrote colleagues on July 25th that the Portland violence was not opportunistic, but organized. Very interesting. Murphy urged for an immediate change of definitions for the violent activity in Portland following a review of individuals arrested by federal authorities, as well as intelligence surrounding their affiliations and activities. The individuals are violently attacking the federal facilities based on these ideologies, he said in regards to Antifa, which he classed as VAAI or violent Antifa anarchists inspired. We can't say any longer that this violent situation is opportunistic wrote Murphy. Additionally, we have overwhelmingly intelligence, overwhelming intelligence regarding the ideologies driving individuals towards violence and why the violence has continued. A core set of threat actors are organized, show up night after night, share common TTPs and drawing on like-minded individuals to their cause. TTP stands for tactics, techniques and procedures. Quote, I recognize we may not be able to attribute every individual as VAAI. However, we need to look at the totality of the intelligence, both current and previous, and recognize the motivation for the violence and why people have shown up to commit violence for about 60 days and why the individuals are using social media to encourage the VAAI on the ground to carry out acts of violence. The nightly riots in Portland numbered at 60 days when the email was composed. Rioting has shifted Uh, Writing has shifted from Portland to other cities with some of the same actors, including Washington, D.C., Seattle and Kenosha, violence of which was spurred largely by pro Antifa advocates on social media platforms like Facebook, Twitch and Twitter. Quote, threat actors who are motivated by anarchist or Antifa or a combination of both ideologies to carry out acts of violence against state, local and federal authorities and infrastructure they believe represent authority or represent political and social ideas they reject, Murphy concluded. Phrases like every city, every town burn the precincts to the ground are a common refrain at Black Lives Matter rallies and have been chanted during arson attacks on the Portland Police Bureau, the Mark O. Hatfield Federal Courthouse in Portland and other facilities where Antifa and Black Lives Matter militants were present. Another really important point. They say Black Lives Matter militants. Keep that in mind because it's not just Antifa. And the way I explain it is if someone showed up to a college campus and saw a bunch of kids, you know, like chilling in the, in, you know, a, a, a common area and said, how many of you want to destroy capitalism? A bunch would probably say yes. And some would be like, I don't know. But If they said Black Lives Matter, right, a bunch would be like, yeah, then come out and protest if you really mean it. And with the inundation by major corporations, the message of Black Lives Matter, it is particularly easy for far left extremists, notably Antifa, to rally people behind the flag Black Lives Matter as opposed to Antifa. In fact, telling people to rally around Antifa might scare them because of the, you know, Trump saying they're a terrorist organization. Now they say Black Lives Matter, people are going to be like, okay, yeah. I mean, the NFL says it. The NBA says it. My video games say it. Why not? And they'll go out and they'll say, hey, take this, light it and throw it. And the kid will be like, oh, okay, I guess. Boom. Now you're facing five to 15 in federal prison for throwing an explosive device. Some dumb kid 
who's just going out and marching, has an Antifa guy say, you trust me, right? We're here for the cause. Take this firecracker. It'll just throw, make smoke appear. Boom. Now that dumb kid in Portland is facing prison time. They exploit the, the, the useful idiots. And now a lot of these dumb kids, man, of course, there's always the Black Lives Matter Antifa types who get carried away, like the people in New York that those two lawyers who for some reason decided to make Molotovs and go hand them out. Yeah, well, now you're going to go to prison. Your lives are over. They go on to say the intelligence provided by, by, the, the, uh, by the DHS validates claims by conservative voices who have long identified Antifa as an organized movement and flies in the face of claims that the group was not intent on committing violence or conducting an insurgency against the U.S. government. Well, I wonder what the New York Times has to say. Michelle Goldberg, who's a far leftist and writes this stuff all the time, so I'm not surprised, says, there is still a lot we don't know about the killing early this month of Michael Forrest Reinel. Reinel, a self-described Antifa supporter, was a suspect in the shooting of Aaron J. Danielson, a backer of the far-right group Patriot Prayer, during an August street confrontation in Portland, uh, Oregon. Prosecutors charged him with murder. Reinel, speaking to Vice News, said he acted in self-defense. There will be no trial to sort out what happened because the federal marshals sent to arrest him gunned him down. Well, according to witnesses, there was a firefight. According to the statement from the DOJ, he uh, was reaching for a firearm. It may be. It really may be. The marshals showed up. They know this guy is armed. They saw him make a movement. They panicked. They shot and killed him. This is, in my opinion, a, a strategic failure an absolute strategic failure on the part of the DOJ and the federal government and the U.S. Marshals. Now, I know, I know a lot of people may say this guy was a murderer. And if he tried to kill the cops, then that's what happened. And the cops had to defend themselves. That I understand. But this is different. Okay, this is different. When we have that story in Lancaster, a guy bursts from the house, he's screaming and waving a knife. And the cop tried running and then turns and shoots him. That was, that's an unfortunate circumstance. I mean, the guy with the knife is responsible. And the cop had to defend himself. I wish nobody got hurt, but that's what happens. Now, I can't blame any, I can't blame the cop for that, but I can tell you this. I can't necessarily blame the U.S. Marshals for firing on a known, uh, 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 someone wanted for murder who's known to be armed several times. However, they should have had a, a way better tactical approach to this. This was so much more important. And I guess the challenge is, Maybe I'm overestimating the amount of time they had to move in and, and how things go down. It's a split second. I'm just saying this. It would have been way better for everyone if they got this guy and brought him to justice and he stood trial. You know why? We need a public trial. We need video footage and drawings and witness statements. We need to hear it from his mouth. I am Antifa. Then we'll know. Then we'll say, there it is a violent extremist standing trial, a man who stalked and hunted down a Trump supporter. Now he's dead. We won't know. And the left will use this and say, no, there was no trial. It was self-defense. We'll never know now. And that is a, a strategic error on the part of the federal government. This dude is seen on camera stalking Trump supporters. Now we, we have the camera footage, so we know it wasn't self-defense. But a trial is important. It, 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 it locks it up clean. It shows that we did the right thing, that even the worst people who maybe you think deserve uh, to face retribution still stand trial. The Nazis stood trial. This guy should too. They, uh, she go, uh, Goldberg goes on to say, federal authorities claimed that Reinel had a gun. 
The Olympian newspaper quoted two witnesses who said Reinhold fired at the police. Boom, two witnesses. But one later said his remarks had been misconstrued and he wasn't sure if Reinhold had a weapon. A third witness said that Reinhold was carrying only a cell phone and that the marshals started shooting at him without announcing themselves. So now it's contested. One person says he was armed and shooting back. Two people actually did. One person that says, actually, I don't know. A third person says, no, I'm going to lean towards a guy we know to constantly be carrying a gun who was seen on camera shooting people probably had a gun when the feds showed up. And I'm not one to blindly trust the government. If it was a guy who was known to carry around candy bars and hand them out to kids and they said he drew a gun, I'd be like, you're going to have to prove that one to me. If it turns out, if we know we're tracking a guy who's on camera gripping his weapon and was arrested previously for having one, he probably was carrying his weapon. Sorry to say, man. She goes on to say, even if Reinhold's killing was justified in a country where the rule of law held, the government would have treated it as regrettable. For Donald Trump's administration, Reinhold's death was cause for celebration. Calling Reinhold a dangerous fugitive, admitted Antifa member and suspected murderer, Bill Barr said in a statement, the streets of our cities are safer with this violent agitator removed. Trump in a Fox News interview on Saturday said of the killing, that's the way it has to be. There has to be retribution when you have crime like this. Perhaps needless to say, law enforcement is not permitted to kill suspects in retribution. Trump continued the theme at his Nevada rally Sunday night uh, saying to cheers, we sent in the U.S. Marshals. It was taken care of in 15 minutes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan. I think this is a tactical failure. You want to win in the long run? If, I'll put it this way. If Trump really wanted to convince moderates and regular people, he would have caught this guy. They could have shown his face everywhere and they could have said, we got him. And it would have been a major press event. And then the news cycle, would be, oh, geez, what do we do? The guy would have made statements. Every time this guy spoke, it was good for Trump. Every time, because it brought to light, it brought back the story of the guy who murdered the Trump supporter. This guy dying is actually beneficial to the extremists. They want the loose ends tied up. They don't want Antifa people who have gone out and committed murder to speak. They don't want them to squeal. Imagine if this guy started saying, here are the people I work with. Here are the people who organize with me. Imagine if they got him to flip. This is a tactical failure. And it's also a failure of justice, in my opinion, because we don't want people to die. I'm not blaming the marshals for defending themselves from a violent extremist. No, not of course, none of that. I'm just saying it is preferable and it is just to have these people stand trial and face up to their crimes. The DHS said in a leaked email, we know they're organized. Okay, who's organizing? Well, unfortunately, one of the guys who could have shed light on that is dead. Now, I don't agree with the stupid uh, uh, framing that it's like Trump's shredding civil liberties. It won't stop with Antifa. Oh, shut up. This guy was armed killed a guy and was a wanted fugitive. And, and two witnesses claimed he fired at cops. One somewhat recant and said they weren't sure. Another person said he didn't. It stands to reason if a cop goes to, to enforce a warrant and they start shooting at him, they fire back. And now the guy is dead. I, I, I think it's, it's just reasonable. The simple solution, Occam's razor, armed dude seen on camera gripping his weapon and then firing a gun and fleeing, fired on cops. Yeah, that sounds like the simple solution. You know what sounds ridiculous? That there was a conspiracy. The marshals were planning a retribution style killing. And they said, we're going to take this down without charge or trial. No, come on. The simple solution is panicky marshals saw the guy. He reached for his gun. He drew his weapon. They started firing at each other and they killed him. And now they're like, oh, man, 
They don't realize that you, you can be a trained marshal, a cop or a soldier or whatever, and you, you have a fight or flight moment. You have a high intensity moment and you see this dude, you know, he's armed or at least he's been armed and he pulls out a gun. And what do you do? You, 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 you fire back. You know, he shoots at you even if he didn't. I think there's a possibility maybe he went for the gun. Maybe they thought he had a gun and they shot at him. Who knows? That's just the challenge. The tactical victory, however, would have been this guy sitting in a chair, squealing like a pig on all of his Antifa comrades or whatever he wants to call them. And he probably would. Of course he would. These people, they break under pressure. This guy is no great hero or soldier. He's just a wingnut lunatic who claimed on Vice News, I was surrounded by vehicles full of Trump supporters with weapons. Nah, dude, you're nuts. You're just walking down the street and you started stalking, stalking a Trump supporter. The dude's paranoid and delusional. So maybe you couldn't have taken his word for it, but you could have got a lot more out of him. Now, I, 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 th- I think it's hilarious and uh, uh, not surprising in the least that the New York Times is effectively running a defensive Antifa. Yeah, 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 we get it, whatever. But they're organized, man. And in two days, they will be appearing in Washington, D.C. for the White House siege. Now, they say it's going to be a nonviolent siege. But there will be 50 days of random Antifa people showing up and they're organized. Part of their organized effort is to make you think they are not organized. This is why it's so damning of the media uh, to the media that they keep saying Antifa just means anti-fascist. You know, everyone is Antifa. Really? Well, according to this book I got here, it says an insider's look at the movement. It's a movement. It is a movement of people. Uh Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, they have a handbook. It doesn't there's no regular people who oppose fascism don't know anything about this. They're not a part of any movement. You want to be a part of a movement. You can join the movement. Is that what it says? Actually? No, it says an insider. Look at the movement. You want to join the movement. Okay, then you're Antifa. But a regular person who opposes fascism is not just Antifa. But that's the game they play. That way they can lurk in the shadows and the media will claim there's no organization. There is. There's just small chapters that operate in this way to avoid being called out. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. Ladies and gentlemen, they got him. They caught the beer bandit. The nightmare is over. Patrons of Pittsburgh restaurants, you may now drink your beer in peace as the beer bandit Black Lives Matter protester has been finally caught and charged. And uh, you can see on video, they did it. They stole the beer. Now, now, okay, let's let's slow down. You may have seen the video from a couple weeks ago of the Black Lives Matter protest marching past a restaurant, swearing and yelling at patrons. Some woman walks over and grabs a beer from an elderly couple, and they looked rather shocked. Someone else comes up, starts yelling at them. Accidentally, it looks like they, they swipe something and a glass falls off, and then someone else smacks a glass off the table. This wasn't the most egregious act of violence we've seen from Black Lives Matter. But this story is significant for a couple of reasons. For one, we have seen now several instances where Black Lives Matter has been harassing regular people. Like, I mean, they're harassing regular people all the time. But what I mean is going to restaurants and terrorizing people who are not engaging in political activities and just generally, I mean, look, you got the thing, you got the videos where they go up to the patrons and demand they salute them in DC. Yeah, it's terror. It's bend the knee to us or else. So they're marching through the streets and they're making sure people know who they are and fear them, and that's what's happening. So this group harassed an elderly couple. 
The reason why this is this story is so interesting is that they lied to the Pittsburgh Post Gazette and said we were invited over. Yeah, they said, come on over, have a beer. And I said, well, I don't got time to order one, so I'll just drink this beer right here. And you can clearly see the elderly couple is in distress as people are screaming at them and now they're being charged. So I don't think we're stopping, you know, the grand grand conspiracy to inflict pain and suffering and violence on people. But if you stop these extremists, when they do things like this, you will prevent more extreme actions. If they feel that they can go up to anybody they want, steal whatever they want, lie to the press, the press will publish their lies. And they did. What else will they do? Well, not too far from uh, from Pittsburgh is Lancaster. And guess what? All is peaceful in Lancaster. You know why? Flash raids were apparently conducted where police went around, swooped up the agitators and arrested them. And then guess what? No more riots. I find it funny when you look at Portland. What have we seen in the past few, few past several nights of Portland? Things seem to be dying down. And there's a couple of reasons that may be that I've mentioned before. One, the wildfires, people might be like, time to chill. They also may be going to D.C. because in two days, the White House siege will begin. Or it could be that Oregon State Police were deputized and the FBI was going around and arresting some of the more extreme agitators on federal charges. Guess what? You remove the extremists. What do you get? A dance party. That's what happened in the street. So like I said, the beer bandit, not the most notorious criminal working inside the, you know, anti-far Black Lives Matter, still important to stop this. Send a message to the extremists. If you do things like this, you will be arrested. Let's read these stories. I want to show you some of the context where they lied to the uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and tried claiming it was all in good fun. It was just theatrics. No, these are violent criminals who harass people, threaten them. It's not just in in Pittsburgh. It's not just in D.C. It was in Rochester where they went around and knocked tables over, chairs over and chased people out. People who probably paid money for food already or had already were trying to order things. And now we're being chased away from a relaxing evening. Why? Because it's terrorism. They want you to fear them. They can do this and get away with it. Well, not now, because from the most extreme offenders of, of violent thugs to the lowly beer bandit, you will be arrested. Good. Here's a story from the Daily Mail. They say beer bandit BLM protester who downed elderly couples drink at Pittsburgh restaurant and screamed F the white people is charged with harassing diners along with two others. Three people are now facing criminal charges for harassing diners at a restaurant in Pittsburgh during a Black Lives Matter protest over Labor Day weekend. Misdemeanor charges were filed against Monique Kraft, 35, Kenneth McDowell, 33, and Sean Green, 24, on Monday. It's unclear whether they've been taken into custody. Apparently, there's also a video of like someone swinging a skateboard at somebody. A viral video showed the trio and others protesting and other protesters screaming F the white people and yelling other obscenities at diners outside the Siena Mercado restaurant on Penn Avenue on September 5th. Kraft was dubbed the beer bandit after she was seen swiping a drink from an elderly white couple and downing it in front of them before another protester knocked the glass to the ground. Green, who goes by Lorenzo Rulli, I, I guess, swore at the elderly couple and gave them the finger, according to a police complaint. He also walked up to the front of the restaurant and screamed into an open window. Police identified McDowell as the ringleader and said he used a megaphone to scream obscenities at diners sitting outside Siena Mercado and others passing by as seen in the video. 
McDowell was also accused of getting into an altercation with a McDonald's manager in another protest video that went viral. Why? I don't get it. So this is Sean Green, who goes by Lorenzo Rulli. I don't understand why. Swore at the elderly couple and gave them the finger. Now, that's interesting. He's being charged for harassment. That's that's a tough charge. I mean, what did the guy do? Walked up to people and yelled at them. I mean, we have a right to free speech, right? I guess the challenge here is that you have a, a large mob. There is action being taken, like physical action being taken against them, and he's joining in the intimidation. So yeah, seems like he definitely crossed the line. Kraft has been charged with disorderly conduct, conspiracy, and theft by unlawful taking after allegedly admitting to chugging the couple's beer. I, I, got, I gotta admit, this is like the lowest tier Antifa crime to charge, but I, I, I gotta be serious, man. You go after all of it. You stop them. Do not give them any leeway. You take a beer, you get arrested. You steal from people, you get arrested. That way, everybody knows the cops aren't going to mess around. You commit a crime, you will face justice. Interestingly, some people have said, this is what happens when you bring it to the red areas or whatever. And I, I, yeah, maybe, but isn't the mayor of Lancaster a Democrat? I think it's fair to say that people in Pennsylvania are the old school working class type Democrats who don't tolerate this fringe far left extremism. Philadelphia, for instance, like what, 80 percent Democrat. But these guys are like working class union Democrats who are probably all voting for Donald Trump now, especially after videos like this go viral. They're probably very happy as people got arrested. McDowell is charged with possessing instruments of crime, conspiracy, disorderly conduct and harassment. And Ruley is charged with disorderly conduct, conspiracy, criminal mischief and simple trespass. Police noted in the complaint that the diners did not appear to be engaging with the protesters. However, the protesters involved later told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that what the video didn't capture was a group of men shouting Blue Lives Matter and one man swinging a bike at them. The incident outside Siena Mercado drew the ire of President Trump, who called the protesters Joe Biden voters and anarchists in a flurry of tweets on September 8th. BLM protesters horribly harass elderly Pittsburgh diners, uh, scaring them with loud taunts while taking their food right off their plate. Let's stop right here. Joe Biden voters, you sure about that, Donald Trump? These people don't like Joe Biden. I would not call them Joe Biden supporters. Then I, I, well, I wouldn't have before. I thought about it, though. While they don't necessarily support Joe Biden, they probably really don't like him. I think it's fair to say if the Democrats are coming out saying the violence stops if Joe Biden wins, They may not be supporters of, but they certainly tolerate and will accept Joe Biden. They go out and they attack Trump supporters. That helps Joe Biden. They intimidate Trump supporters from speaking out and sharing their their ideas. That helps Joe Biden. It's the weirdest thing to me to see these progressive leftists attacking Trump and helping Joe Biden. Now, I don't think it's fair to say they're going to go around with Biden signs or anything like that. Some of them probably will. Many of them probably say, you have to vote Biden, otherwise Trump will win and it's so much worse. So while they may not be, it may not be fair to say that they are Joe Biden voters or supporters. I think it's fair to say that the actions they take are helping Joe Biden and they would prefer Joe Biden and they're not going to riot should Biden win, according to Democrats. So what else can you do? I'm trying to break down the nuance here, right? Because people are going to be like, they don't support Joe Biden. They're far left extremists. Sure. But everything they do is pushing Biden to victory. Except I got to be I got to be honest. They've done many things. If they just knew where the line was and they stopped, probably could have helped Biden. Think about it. Intimidating Trump supporters and the elderly saying, if you say anything positive about Trump, you know, they'll come for you. That may have worked. 
People are scared to speak up. They don't want to get canceled. They don't want to get attacked. Well, now they've crossed the line. And now they're actually helping Trump by being lunatics and harassing elderly people. Trump goes on to say these anarchists, not protesters, are Biden voters. But he has no control, uh, no control and nothing to say. Disgraceful. Never seen anything like it. Thugs. Trump said this thuggery was happening in Democratic run cities and states. That's true. It is. It, it is. But it's also fair to say that in Lancaster, they, they went out and arrested a ton of these people. I meant Lancaster before. I think I may have confused the cities. Biden and his most liberal and his most liberal in the Senate running mate. That's true. Kamala won't even talk about it. Trump charged. They won't utter the words law and order. Biden has repeatedly said that violence, looting and other bad behavior didn't count as protesting. That's true. Biden said it. But has Biden ever said he condemns Antifa or Black Lives Matter? No, because he doesn't. He doesn't condemn them as movements. He's just mad they're making him look bad. That's really it. If he came out and said the actions taken by the extremists aligned with Antifa and Black Lives Matter have no place in this country, then I'd be like, wow, impressive. He's condemned the violence. I say, okay, thank you for that. Now call out the groups that are organizing it because we've seen from the DHS leaked uh, email, Antifa is very organized. Black Lives Matter is a top-down national organization. It's time for you, Biden, to say, I condemn the actions of these Black Lives Matter extremists. He won't do it. He wants their support. So they may not be voters, but Biden is begging them, please vote for me, please. I won't say your name. I won't insult you. I'll just say the bare minimum to make sure that regular people know I stand against the violence, but not from you, not from them specifically. I won't say their name. Really tells diners F the white people that built the system, adding F12, a reference to police, which really literally means nothing. I, lo- I love the F12 thing. Because it's supposed to be like, so ACAB is 1312, so 12F12. <laughs> it's so, so dumb. Some diners picked up their belongings and left after demonstrators called them an embarrassment. In the second video, McDowell was seen walking next to a cyclist and speaking through a megaphone. It's difficult to distinguish what was said between the pair before McDowell nudged the cyclist with his phone, with the megaphone. The cyclist swatted back before a second protester reportedly hit the man from behind with a skateboard. These people are nuts. Kraft, who identifies as non-binary, sought to explain the scenes in an interview with the Post-Gazette. Yeah, I kid you not. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Ah, yes. The ones who called out Sean Parnell Republican because Sean Parnell condemned the extremists and said they will be emboldened. We are fighting a war with these people. And they were like, hmm. Harumphize. Do better, Sean Parnell. How do we know the culture warrior? From their ivory tower, they looked down at the lowly people who are dealing with the strife and they said, oh, harumph. And then what happened? It came to their town and it will continue to come to Pennsylvania towns unless people stand up and do something because it happened in Lancaster. But guess what happened in Lancaster? They came and arrested these people. You arrest them. That put an end to it. Here's what they said to Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. According to Kraft's account, a man began grabbing Kraft's hair and placed his hand on Kraft's chest, saying he was trying to stop Kraft from engaging with another man. When the confrontation ended, Kraft said, a man in the restaurant began condemning the protesters' actions. The woman who was with him offered Kraft to come over, have a beer, and talk about the situation. So being a theatrical, snarky, snarky type of person that I am, I said that I don't have time to wait for you to order another beer. I'll take the one you have. Kraft did not recognize the man who swung the skateboard. Even though people at the restaurant saw the whole thing, they still saw me as an aggressor, Kraft said. 
adding that people like to look at videos and speculate on what they would have done in the situation without knowing what it was really like in the moment. Thank you, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, for letting us know of the noble actions of this, this poor individual who just wanted to share a beer with an elderly couple. And that's the media for you. They're in the bag for the for the Democrats. They're in the bag for Black Lives Matter. In fact, Trump isn't even running against either of them. Trump is running against the media, the media class, the elite ivory tower, whatever people who are so sure of themselves, so arrogant. They are the ones who dictate what you should think. So, of course, they're not going to make Black Lives Matter look bad. They're in the bag. They're saying we support this. We need this. We we must defeat the orange man or else. Well, now we know the truth. These these people are getting arrested and charged conspiracy because they were not invited to have a beer. They're just extremist, arrogant criminals who will commit crime so long as they get away with it. Well, I bring you now to this story from the Daily Caller. Lancaster, peaceful after night of unrest following officer related shooting. Now, hold on. What do you mean peaceful? Are you playing games with me, Daily Caller? Is one of the most peaceful protests? No, in fact, nothing happened. Here's the story. Protests remained peaceful Monday night into early Tuesday morning in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, following a night uh, following a night of unrest after a man was fatally shot. Lancaster erupted into Monday morning after the shooting and eight were arrested as rioters set fires and vandalized businesses, according to a police statement. A woman at the Monday night protest outside the Lancaster Police Bureau of Police said Munoz's family was accepting donations to cover his funeral costs and that they supported the protests, but did not want them to be to be destructive. Apparently, some guy came with an American flag and told them that they would do better for the community by taking push brooms and going and going and cleaning up. But I guess that never occurred to them as they go around destroying things. A self-identified pastor asked the protesters what changes they wanted to see happen within the police department. The group most widely agreed that they would like for officers to not carry firearms or to use tear gas, among other requests, such as general economic reform. They want to disarm them. What do you think would happen if a cop was answering a distress call like we saw in Lancaster and a man lunges out, jumping with a knife and screaming and swinging it? And the cop wasn't armed at all with anything. Yeah, the cop would probably die. So in this instance, the cop defended himself and rightly so. And it's tragic. So why do they want to disarm the police? We're just saying, man, cops shouldn't have guns. You know, you think they're going to stop once the cops have don't have guns? no. Once the cops put their guns down, these people are going to go 10 times as crazy because they can't, no one will be able to do anything about it. Crime will get worse. Now, potentially, if we do some kind of nonviolent first responders, community policing of some sort, I'm actually okay with that. What I mean by community policing is, I've made reference to this before, kind of like a civil guard. They'll have batons, but no weapons. They won't answer violent calls. So if you get a domestic dispute, the cops still come out and they will be armed. So if the crazy guy with the knife comes out, the cops can still defend themselves. But they can answer things like homeless guy won't leave the front of a store. That does still create an opportunity for for danger for, for for these officers because they won't be armed. And you never know when someone will come out with a weapon. But I believe... The police can uh, take the first step towards de-escalation, and we can do it in, in small doses, meaning you don't want to do this overhaul like many of these departments are doing. Disband the police, defund the police. No, 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 no. We want a couple of officers. We'll try out some very serious low-tier uh, you know, violations, citations, so they can go out and help deal with, maybe you got two guys and they're, they're having a dispute over a parking space. Maybe a homeless guy is blocking the door and won't leave. You come out the Civil Guard and you try and deal with it. You give it a certain amount of time, 
And if the homeless guy can't be moved, then the civil guard can try to make an arrest or they can call for patrol officers to show up with their normal equipment. I think this requires more funding for police, better training. And I think, honestly, I think most cops should be paid better. A lot of cops get paid trash to work, to work a really tough job. And that's a lot of things people, a a lot, uh, that's something that people don't realize. Like I remember reading about New York City and they got some dumb things in New York with how they hire people. Sure. But they pay very, very little for, for officers joining the force. So they have no investment in the job. They don't care. Many of these cops are living with their parents. No joke. And so you, you, you know, you're not, you're not creating a, a, a uh, intelligent, trained task force, you know, who can go out and ensure the safety and, and just maintain order. You're not. You're getting a bunch of like barely qualified individuals who are underpaid. So it's, it's really fascinating to me. Let's, let's talk about increasing the salaries, funding the police more, getting these cops more invested. And I don't mean every cop is not invested. I'm just saying the ones that aren't, they're kind of like, oh, I'm at work, right? We want these cops to be proud of what they do. We want them to make a decent amount of money. We want, we want them to be trained properly. This requires more money. Well, they're calling for defunding. That makes no sense. So anyway, here's what I want to show. This is a tweet from The Blaze. They say, Lancaster police conduct flash raids on rioters to arrest those who committed criminal actions such as arson, vandalism, and assault and battery on officers. They were rounded up in marked vans during an offensive that took the BLM and Antifa rioters off guard. Our reporter Elijah Schaefer was there to capture it all. And we have a video, people getting arrested. I didn't find any uh, articles or anything talking about the tactics used to make the arrests, but there are many articles talking about the arrests themselves. So I think it's, you know, I think it is likely that, you know, following the unrest, they identified the individuals, they went to their homes quietly and, and without incident, arrested them, and now they're facing charges. And now we have peaceful protests. You've got to get rid of the agitators. If the left thinks violence is wrong and they try and claim we were just peacefully enjoying a drink with these patrons. Well, then you have no problem with the cops coming in and saying, arrest the extremists, arrest those who are violent. The reality is they're for it. They really are. It's just that many of these people don't want to engage in this activity themselves. They want patsies. So if you get rid of those who are willing to engage in these extremist actions, then there's nothing left but the peaceful protest. As the DHS leaked uh, email said, they're organized, not opportunistic. But I got I got to tell you, it's still a little bold, a little bit, a little bit of both. The far left knows an opportunity when they see one. You got a shooting, a police, you know, instant uh, incident for whatever reason. They can push it. They can make people rally whether or not the police shooting was justified or otherwise. And they'll say there's no justified police shootings. Lancaster, the police did everything right. The cop tried running first. He couldn't get away. The guy was gaining on him. He turned and he fired. He was attacked first. The cop did nothing wrong. In fact, he did everything right. He tried to flee. The police then released the body cam footage, doing everything right, being transparent. The left still went out and rioted. So you know what? Good. The police arrested the extremists and now a peaceful protest, a total peaceful protest. Look at it. Here's one sign. The thin blue line protects them, not us. We are done working with America, blah, blah, blah. Here's a guy holding a thin blue line flag. You know what? I'm happy for him. I think they're wrong. But I like the idea that they'll go out and peacefully express themselves. And I'm even more excited to see that the police are doing their job and charging the highest level and the lowest level. This story, we covered two extremes, or, um, uh, the, 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 not, not extremes, but like the two ends, the bottom tier of crime. Someone walked over and took a beer. Seems like no big deal, but don't let them become emboldened. Arrest them and charge them for any crime they commit. 
It's a misdemeanor. This 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 person craft will get a slap on the wrist or something. But now you got the arsonists from Lancaster. This is Pennsylvania doing it right. Take these people in, charge them, have them stand trial, and we'll see what they've done. And that's the way it's supposed to work. Otherwise, if you do what Portland did and keep cutting them loose, the riots will never stop. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash Timcast. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. It was only a couple of weeks ago when a man wanted on a felony warrant was fighting with the police, went to his vehicle, and the police said, drop the knife, drop the knife, and then fired into his back seven times. The man obviously was Jacob Blake. Protests erupted, riots erupted, NFL players put the name Jacob Blake on their helmet. You have to wonder, many of these people on the left, why they would support the criminal in this circumstance. Sure, he got seriously injured, and I'm, I'm, I'm truly am sad to hear it. I don't want anybody getting hurt. I say it all the time. But the police need to be able to make arrests. We need people to be able to enforce the law. Too many young people in this country are pampered and don't understand what the world is really like. They think they're so smart. They're convinced. If I was in this situation, I would know exactly what to do. And now we have this nightmarish video, a graphic video of two cops being shot who did everything right. And one of them was killed. They were both, I believe, shot in the head. Fortunately, one of the officers, I believe, has survived, but with horrifying injuries. Here's, here's, here's part of the video. I can't play the video for you. It's just a bit of a traffic stop. Jessica O'Donnell says, Warning, very graphic video released from the shooting of two Tulsa officers in a traffic stop. One of them died. This is what they face on a daily basis. Tasers and pepper spray often don't work. Remember this scene when you are quick to condemn officers in escalating situations. And here's the story from Oklahoma's News 9. Body camera video of Tulsa officers shooting released. I watched the press conference. And I tell you what, man, if you watch this video and it doesn't leave you shocked, rocked to your core then I don't know, then you need, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything beyond that. I just say any, any rational, regular human being would hear the scream of this officer as he is shot in the chest and the head. And I'll tell you, man, in this video, these cops pulled the guy over because he had expired tags and plates. He made an illegal left turn, an illegal lane change. Uh, he failed to yield. The cops wanted to pull him over and they did. And they wanted to investigate further. They gave him a lawful order 40 times to exit the vehicle. They used taser. They used pepper spray. And they tried to get this guy out of his car. And this guy kept whining. You're violating my rights. You won't read me my rights. Help, help. And as he was doing this, what he was actually doing as he feigned the victim was he reached under the seat of his car and grabbed a gun. When the two cops tried pulling him out, he fired into one of the officers and the other cop from which we see the body camera footage did not know what was happening. And he's, he, you can hear him say something like, what the? And then the guy turns and fires into him. You hear the officer fall down screaming. All right. The cops did everything right. They used pepper spray. They were investigating this guy. They said they were going to tow his car. He had expired uh, tags and plates. I mean, don't we, don't we want cops to get erratic drivers who aren't following the law off the street? Now, here's the craziest the craziest bit of it. The dude you can see in this photo. 
after he put a bullet through the head of one of the officers, he turns to the cop who's on the ground, desperately crawling away, and he puts two hands on the gun and he aims for the cop's head and puts a bullet in his head. And this cop, I believe, survived. And this video was released and it is it is shocking. It is what uh, nightmares are made of. And I, I, I believe that, you know, when videos like this come out, I always watch them. I always do because I won't pretend the world is rainbows and candy canes. This guy was screaming, help, you're violating my rights as he reached for a gun. And in what I could only describe as an act of pure malevolence and evil, after he already put the officer down with a chest wound, a bullet to his chest, he carefully grips the gun, aims it at his head and fires again. His intent was not to escape. His intent was not to merely get away. His intent was to make sure he executed these cops who did everything right. Oh, the cops could have approached with their guns drawn and reckless disregard for the well-being of of the people around them and those that they're trying to enforce, those they're trying to get to comply. But these cops used pepper spray. They used tasers. And the taser failed on the guy. And the pepper spray failed on the guy. And I tell people this all the time. They don't get it. Pepper spray doesn't work on a lot of people. And they think it's an effective way for cops to to gain compliance. Yes, some people will get pepper sprayed and freak out and fall down. Some people won't. Some people will just be blinded with rage. Some people were planning on killing the cops the entire time. And this video comes out as more video is, is, is surfacing of the ambush in Los Angeles, the two sheriff's deputies, a guy runs up to the car and you probably saw it. So I'll tell you this, as I sat here watching and not the first video I've ever seen, watching a video of cops, they're yelling at the guy, they're screaming, get out of the car. They told him 40 times and I'm like, dude, get out of the car, man. And the guy says, I don't want to go to jail. He didn't want to go to jail. You know, I think about this and I, and I, and I, I feel like there's a scale. You're a guy, you got expired plates, you're doing something illegal, you get pulled over. You want to escape. And, and this guy has taken it upon himself. He's decided he's going to use lethal force against these cops in order to escape. But where is that line? In what state of mind? He, he already shot the cops. He was clear to leave. They weren't going to be able to do anything against him. They, one cop was dead. The other cop is on the ground screaming with a, with a wound in his chest. And this guy, he didn't want to escape. He, he, he had every opportunity to hop back in his car and just get out. No, instead, he slowly turns to the cop and he wants to use his time not to escape, but to just put a bullet in that cop's head. The cop who was just trying to enforce the law. So you think about Jacob Blake and you wonder why it is the cop fired seven times. I don't. He was reaching for a knife. He said he had a knife. They found a knife. He was going he was he was going for a knife. So are these cops just supposed to ignore the real threat to their lives? I remember that live stream from one of these protests from the incident that just happened in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. A crazed man bursts from the house swinging a knife and the cop runs, turns and then fires the guy killing him. This live streamer says cops are risking their lives. They should accept that. No, they shouldn't. 
They're people. We ask them to do this. We tell these officers, do us the favor and take a dangerous job that pays very little with crappy hours and you will get very little respect from people. In fact, everyone hates you. And then when you do everything right and they ban the chokeholds and they tell you you have to use the taser and the pepper spray, and then a man jumps out and takes the time to grip the gun to point at your head, the reward you get is an NFL that will put the name of the criminals on their helmets. How absolutely deranged. Brett Weinstein tweeted, this video exactly illustrates many points Sam Harris made in the quote, can we pull back from the brink episode of making sense for society to function? The police must be able to make arrests. Resisting arrest is a serious crime, even for an otherwise innocent person. I completely agree. You do not win the fight fighting with cops. You may be innocent. I've been wrongly accused. I've had cops plant drugs in my car. No joke. And I only got let go because my dad was a firefighter. Talk about corrupt and gross. Yep. I've had more negative interactions with with police than positive ones. That's a fact. And I mean, it's fair to say because most of the interactions you have are you're getting a ticket. You're like, oh, I'm getting a ticket. It sucks. Yep. Well, you know, sometimes you get tickets. I've got I've had two tickets that were bunk that I didn't do anything wrong. And that's two of three tickets I've had in my life. Yeah, I don't have, I've had only a small handful of tickets in my life. I don't like the idea that, you know, a cop found my, my dad's firefighter emblem in my car and was planning on planting drugs on my car. It's a true story. I, I kid you not. He's, he was trying to, and he demanded I confess. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then another cop found the emblem. It was like, who's the firefighter? I said, my dad. He uncuffed me, said, go home. Professional courtesy, I guess. I'm not a fan of that. But listen, that's not every cop. I have been saved by a cop from a mugging once. And I was like, I'm totally grateful. I had a cabbie once. Uh, I was with, with uh, uh, my brother. Cabbie uh, sideswiped us, came and hit us in the side. And the cops came and helped us out and said, we're sorry this happened to you guys. And they were very nice. I had someone try to break into my home. The cops came and got the information, made sure we were all safe. I was eternally grateful that these guys were rushing to a scene where they knew at four in the morning, a guy tried breaking into a house. And guess what that means? They are risking their lives. And I asked them to do it. I asked them to. These cops go to stop somebody because we as a society ask them to do it. And now we as, we as a society are facing this insane conflict where the far left is accusing the cops of wrongdoing when they were asked to do this. Why? Because some cops are bad. Because some people are bad. And there are cultural problems in in many departments. Absolutely. And there are systemic issues in policing. What I mean by that is there there are the system is, is at fault, not the officer. That's what I'm trying to say. If we tell cops this is how you should respond and it results frequently in bad things, well, then we've got a system that's at fault. In the case of Brianna Taylor and many other people who have died, it's because we have created this system and asked people to adhere to it. How absurd is it then that we would ask officers to do a job and then complain when they are at risk and defend themselves? This results in horrifying videos. There's a video of a guy, a black man gets pulled over and the cop gets out and says, show me your ID. And the guy says, "Okay." He reaches onto his seat to grab it, and the cop yells no, and then shoots the guy. 
And then you're thinking like, what? You asked the guy to get his ID. And that's because a guy got scared. And it's because things like this happen. Lunatics will, will sometimes kill you. So we can't, what do we do? There's no clean solution. There's no clean solution. You've got a guy who intended to kill. And he did. And you have other people who are innocent, who did nothing wrong, but the cops panic either way. The system is, it's got holes that need to be fixed. How do we fix it? I'm not the expert. I don't know. But I highlight this video to point out that all of these protests, all of these marches, all of this rioting over criminals, I don't want them to get hurt. I don't care if they broke the law. I don't want people getting hurt. But people would riot for them. What about these two guys? Nobody's going to go out. Nobody's going to smash windows. Nobody, well, maybe people will march this time. These guys, I don't know. They deserve something. To see a video of the cops who did it right, to be punished so brazenly by this psychopath, to see the criminals get their names stripped across the helmet of an NFL player. No way, man. I'll tell you this. I'll leave it at this. I don't have the solutions. I'm not going to pretend to have the solutions. Defunding the police is certainly not, not a solution. But we are a society that has asked these people to don the uniform and go out and protect us. And now all these people are complaining because some people didn't do it a good enough job. I want to see what they have to say about this, 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 this shooting. I'll leave it there, man. To the officer who survived, I seriously, seriously hope he makes a full recovery. And uh, I hope people, people um, you talk about this. Talk about it more. A couple more segments coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. There have been a series of incidents that have occurred recently that highlight the dangers of being a police officer. The first is the Lancaster incident where a a cop is approaching a home on a domestic abuse call or a domestic call. This is a cop who knows he's entering a potentially violent situation with extremely agitated individuals. A man bursts from the door swinging a knife and the cop runs, but he can't run fast enough. So he turns and he shoots at the man who is swinging the knife at him, killing him. This led to widespread rioting. And to me, that's just shockingly insane. I mean, come on, this guy was chasing the cops, swinging a knife. And the previous segment I just covered is the uh, disturbing graphic and horrifying video of two officers doing everything right, trying to get a man out of his out of his car, expired tags, illegal turn, failed to yield. And the guy, while he's complaining, they tased him, they pepper sprayed him, he reaches for his gun and he shoots them both and he takes his time to aim and shoot the cop as he's on the ground screaming in agony. What a, what, 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 a, what a psychotic individual. And then I see this. Football players suspended from team for carrying thin blue, thin red line flags at a game. This happened uh, on 9-11. Football players wanted to run out. They wanted to display the, the, the flag honoring police and the flag honoring firefighters on 9-11. And they were told they weren't allowed to do it. They were fierce that it was political. Supporting police is political? Okay, okay, hold on. Now, we've, we've heard recently that supporting Black Lives Matter is not political. That's what a federal agency ruled. Oh, you, you're allowed to, you know, support Black Lives Matter. You're allowed to paint Black Lives Matter. It's not a free speech issue for everyone else because it's not political. It quite literally is, though. It's an ideology. It's a call to action. They have policy proposals. 
Black Lives Matter has a mission statement. They have politicians endorsing them clearly on partisan lines. But they would claim that honoring police and firefighters are political, but doesn't everyone support police and firefighters? I mean, firefighters at the very least. I understand the controversy around cops, but every neighborhood has police. How does it come to a point where you're either for the institution of law enforcement or you're opposed to it? In what sane world would we have no law enforcement? I don't think that makes sense. But what really gets me is that it was 9-11. Remember that day 19 years ago? Many of you, uh, I'm assuming most of you um, were alive around then. Um, but there's a lot of young people probably didn't remember that day. My dad was a firefighter, but we were in Chicago. I remember hearing what happened on 9-11. I remember, remember watching TV on that day as everything fell to silence and panic swept over everybody. We were under attack. Before the towers collapsed, when we knew we were under attack, there were many firefighters rushing in full speed. There were many cops running towards a flaming, smoldering building with debris falling from the sky. And those people were all heroes. The emergency service personnel, the EMTs, everyone who ran in that day. There were some people who uh, didn't make it out because the buildings collapsed on top of them. And in the next decade, in in the following uh, several years to decades to come, many of the people who were on the ground digging for survivors and helping developed a horrifying condition in their lungs. And many of those people became debilitated and slowly died an excruciating death. Heroes. And on 9-11, these kids wanted to wave the flag for them. And they were told they weren't allowed to do it. How have we gotten to this point? It should be acceptable to anybody to say, today we honor the fallen. I got really angry. I think it was last year. Somebody desecrated a 9-11 memorial. These far leftists, these, 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 these psychopaths, they would honor criminals. Now, look, if you're a nonviolent drug offender, I, I, I have substantially more sympathy than a violent criminal who's trying to go around hurting people. I don't want anyone getting hurt in police encounters. But I think to like George Floyd, for instance, sad he died. There's, a, there's some arguments that uh, they found fentanyl in the system. I think I've seen those stories. I think I reported on them. And that maybe he tried swallowing drugs because he was getting stopped by the cops and he was panicking. I'm sad that, that this man died. And I think, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's to a lot of people, they think it's easy to know what to do in these circumstances. But this guy should not have died. And I don't know how he solved that problem or what should have been done. I just know I'm, I'm much more libertarian on nonviolent offenses. Then we have Jacob Blake, who fought with the cops and then reached into his car. And apparently they, they, uh, cops yelled, drop the knife, drop the knife. I say that because I don't know if he had it or not, but I think he was reaching for a knife. We know he had it. They found the knife. He said he had a knife. And they would honor the criminal. These far leftists would go out and riot saying the cops are bad. They would desecrate a 9-11 memorial. And then politically, at our institutions and our schools, they would tell kids, you're not allowed to fly the flags honoring them on 9-11. I don't want to live in that society. Nah, uh-uh. 9-11 is different. You can take issue with any one of these cops who committed these, the, you know, uh, who, are, who are involved in killings in some capacity. We can have an argument, argument about it. 
Was it right? Was it wrong? What level of of force should be used? Were the cops right to shoot Jacob Blake several times? Well, right is a hard word. I don't know. Was there justification for it? It looks like there was. We could have a discussion about it because maybe people might say he should have backed off. He didn't have a gun. Then someone might bring up the shooting in Tulsa and say, well, look what happens when someone reaches under their seat. This guy drew a gun this time. Let's have a discussion about it. Fine. 9-11? Uh-uh. Not going to happen. There's no discussion. These were people running towards flaming debris and explosions to save people. And many of them got crushed under the rubble of a collapsing skyscraper because they were thinking about others before themselves. You want to fly the thin blue line flag on 9-11? I'll buy you the flag. You want to fly the, the thin red line, uh, thin, red, thin red line flag as well? I think it's the thin red line. I'll buy you the flag. I'll buy you a flag with both symbols on it for law enforcement, for those that would think of others before themselves. I should probably read the story, but I'm just, you know, I got to say, man, after watching that video from the last segment of that guy just slowly and methodically gripping the weapon and pointing to a cop who's on the ground screaming. And then to see a story like this, I'll tell you, I'm mad. I'm really mad. I'm sick of it. I want police reform. What does that mean? Better training, more resources, more resources. I don't like police militarization. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about cops need to get paid more. Firefighters need to get paid more. I used to talk about this all the time when I was a kid, and I was very, very much on the left. The, the firefighters and police are working class people. They don't make a lot of money. It's the NFL players who are getting rich. Why are we as a society giving all of this money? And so, well, it's market, you know, it's capitalism. I got no problem with that on the surface. I just think if the market favors giving NFL players all this money, I get it. But look at the problems we're facing now. When the players would, would put the name of the criminal on their, on their uh, helmet. What, put the name of, of, of these cops who got shot on your helmets. They won't do it. We're not going to see Netflix put out a message for these guys. That's, that's, that's just infuriating. We're not going to see big banners at the Red Sox field naming this officer who was gunned down in cold blood. And they're not the only ones. I remember I was watching a video from, uh, I, think it was like, I think it was like New Year's 2012 or something. It was like, I, I was live streaming down at Occupy. They were, they were in Times Square and there was a video that came out where people, I think it might have been my video actually. It's been a long time. The cops were, they, they wear this little black strip on their badge and the protesters were screaming, the cops are trying to hide their badge numbers. And there were some people who knew what it really meant. It's not covering their badge numbers. It's, it is literally doesn't cover their badge number. You can see their badge number and their name. And someone was yelling at a cop, why are you trying to cover your number? He says, I'm not. And they said, what's that on your badge? And he says, it's to honor a cop who was just killed. These people don't care. They're asked to go out and do this. The boys got suspended from their team after not heeding a warning to leave the thin blue line and thin red line flags that represent fallen firefighters and police officers on the, uh, off the field. This was when the Little Miami High School football team, this is in Ohio, took the field Friday. September 11th, a couple of players carried alongside the American flag, a thin blue line and thin red, red line flags. Were you trying to make some kind of political statement here? Local 12 asked Brady Williams. No, not at all. I was just doing it to honor the people that lost their lives 19 years ago. 
Williams was holding the thin blue line flag as he rushed onto the field Friday. His father is a police officer, and he says he wanted to honor all the cops who lost their lives trying to save others on 9-11. They'll let you say Black Lives Matter. They'll let you paint Black Lives Matter. They'll put it on every TV screen. They'll put it on Amazon. They'll put it on Netflix. They'll shove it down your throats. They'll paint it in your streets. And then they'll tell you you're not allowed to honor the people who ran towards a, a, a collapsing building to save lives. What are we prioritizing? Well, I hope something changes. Uh, this, is not the, this is not liberal. This is not left. The left is psychotic right now. Our, our, our establishment has gone absolutely insane. They have nothing but disdain for the working class. The Democrats have become the party of wealthy elites, and they hate you. I really do mean it. Okay, not all of them, but too many of them. The establishment hates you, and they will put up, they will, they will espouse any message that they think benefits them. I'll say it for the 536 millionth time. I don't, I, I don't feel any joy seeing videos of cops shooting people. It's horrifying. I also understand that cops get shot too, and that's horrifying too. Watching the video of George Floyd was nerve-wracking, was, was, almost made me vomit. Man, everyone was collectively outraged by this. And then I get to watch another video of, uh, we see Kenosha, now we see these cops. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'll, t- I'll leave it here. Look, the kids who, who flew these flags, good for them. I mean it. And they got suspended. Well, shame on you to the school. Honoring cops and firefighters who sacrificed their lives on 9-11 is not partisan. And it's not political. It was something that everyone around the world recognized. So many different countries honored the fallen from 9-11 and and built memorials for us and gifted us things and put up tributes for us on 9-11. They all recognize it. It was a day where we saw the universal good of humanity. And this is spineless fecklessness from the school who is scared. We can't have those. Not everyone agreed. The heroes on 9-11 deserve to be honored. This school is pathetic. I'll leave it there. I got one more segment coming up for you in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. You may have seen the clip where Kamala Harris says, the Harris administration with Joe Biden. And everybody said, no, no, you're saying the, the, the loud, the, the quiet part loud. What are you doing, Kamala? And of course, people said, oh, I was a slip of the tongue. She made a mistake. She meant to say the, the Biden-Harris administration. She's talking about herself. <laughs> no, because Joe Biden came out and said the Harris-Biden administration as well. At least as, as far as I can tell from this video, I will say it's confirmed. Joe Biden is not running for president. And that means Joe Biden likely will not appear at the debate with, Joe, uh, with, with uh, uh, Donald Trump on the Joe Rogan podcast. That's a shame. By the way, if you haven't heard already, the hashtag is Joe must show to get Joe Biden on the Joe Rogan podcast with Donald Trump Four hours. Fact check. Pay-per-view, probably not just the Rogan podcast, but that would be the most watched thing ever. And I mean, literally ever the highest rated piece of content ever. So hashtag Joe must show spread the word. But here we have a couple of videos. Kamala Harris accidentally talks about her plans for a Harris administration during virtual roundtable before quickly clarifying Joe Biden would be in charge. It wasn't an accident. Check this out. The Harris Biden administration. I didn't believe this when I heard it. Let's play it. 
Harris-Biden administration is going to relaunch that effort and keep pushing further to make it easier for military spouses and veterans to find meaningful careers. Harris-Biden administration is going to Harris-Biden administration is going to re- All right. There it is. I played it for you several times. The Harris-Biden administration. Is Kamala Harris the president or the vice president? I forget. I think it's obvious. Joe Biden does not have the ability to be the president. He is not a legitimate candidate for the office. He's just the nostalgia candidate. Here's what I think. The Democrats were like, Kamala is unpopular. Nobody likes her. Her polls are in the gutter. And there was a point where they were really trying to make Kamala happen. I have a theory. Let me let me entertain a wild conspiracy theory. I'm half kidding, by the way, but I think it's a funny thought. Kamala Harris was doing really well. She was. And I think the Democrats wanted her to be the nominee. But then Tulsi Gabbard came along and she got up on stage and she put on her shades and she went boom. Dropped a nuke on Kamala Harris. Now, all of you remember that. It was amazing talking about Kamala locking up innocent people for che- or, or keeping people uh, in prison beyond their uh, sentence for cheap labor and uh, laughing about locking up parents who were homeless and stuff like that because their kids weren't in school. And uh, Kamala Harris just collapsed after that. And uh, now, well, she wasn't going to make it. They prop up Joe Biden thinking, OK, here's plan B. Here's plan B. <laughs> Joe Biden is the president and he has Kamala be the, the vice president. I, I thought it was going to be Kamala Harris. I thought she was going to be the nominee. Turns out I was right. Just give me enough time and I am proven right. You see, early on, I said because Kamala Harris hits uh, um, a lot of the progressive, um, you know, check boxes, I guess, uh, check marks the boxes or whatever. Kamala Harris is a female uh, of color. And so her running is good for the intersectional narrative, but she's also got law and order under her belt that could play well for the suburbs. And I think they really wanted her to win until Tulsi Gabbard came along and destroyed her prospects. So Joe Biden wins. He makes Kamala the the VP. And now it's the Harris administration. They tell you it's an accident. It's not an accident. They say uh, Kamala Harris has spoken of the Harris administration during a virtual roundtable before quickly clarifying Biden will be president. Discussing uh, the Democrats' plans for the economy, the candidate for vice president said Saturday, a Harris administration together with Joe Biden as the president of the United States. Wait, 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 wait. She didn't even say, I mean, a Biden administration. She just kept going. She wasn't intending to correct it. She is telling us a Harris administration with Joe Biden. We knew it. Joe Biden's going to be sitting in a wheelchair with a blanket on his lap in the sunroom snoring and she's going to be the actual president. She quickly clarified the Biden-Harris administration will provide access to $100 billion in low interest loans and investments from minority business owners. You see, Kamala Harris slipped up. She said the Harris administration, because we all know what's really going on. She then tried to correct after the fact the Biden-Harris administration. The problem with Joe Biden, however, is that Joe Biden ain't all there. He's not able to actually, (laughs) he said the O'Biden-Bama administration once. So, okay, maybe it's just a mix up. The Harris-Biden administration. Yeah, he was VP for a long time. And that's all he really remembers is being VP. Donald Trump has previously called Biden a Trojan horse for socialism. Vice President Mike Pence has said 
Joe Biden would be nothing more than a Trojan horse for the radical left. Harris's slip up caused some online, some online to suggest she had accidentally revealed the Democrats plan for her to be in charge. Twitter user Gertie Morris wrote, wow, what we all knew. And she confirmed it. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. I think she did slip up. Okay. The simple, uh, the, the simple solution Occam's razor would suggest she just was talking and slipped up. And I guess you could say the same is true for Joe Biden. But at a certain point, when do we actually say Occam's razor would not apply? When you have Joe Biden, who reads teleprompters, who hides in his basement, clearly doesn't want to be the president and is hiding and won't engage with the media. And then you have Kamala Harris, who was at one point favored to win, collapsing because of Tulsi. They put her in. I think the simple solution starts leaning towards this was the intent from the get go. Daily Caller's Greg Price said, "Uh oh, Kamala, you weren't supposed to say that part out loud. A Harris administration. (laughs) Biden named Harris as his running mate last month, making history by selecting the first black woman to compete on a major party's presidential ticket. The 55 year old first term senator, who is also of South Asian descent, is one of the party's most prominent figures. She quickly became a top contender for the number two spot after her own White House campaign ended. Trump, who had donated to her previous campaigns, argued she was about the most liberal person in the U.S. Senate. I would have thought that Biden would have tried to stay away from that a little bit, he said. Harris has Harris had been talking to a sm- to small business owners in Arizona when she made the gaffe, appearing to suggest she was the top of the ticket. The Trump uh, Trump had previously said Biden, the Trump Trump has previously said Biden is a puppet of Bernie Sanders, AOC and the radical left. But he also frequently questioned Biden's cognitive abilities, challenging him to take a cognitive test and has called him a very stable genius. OK, I got a question. If it really is the Harris administration, how would y'all feel about Kamala Harris versus Trump four hours Joe Rogan podcast? Is that a preferable alternative to no Joe Rogan podcast debate at all? Joe Biden likely won't do it. I got to say, man, you know why? Joe Biden can't sit, sit in a chair and talk for four hours. You serious? Trump can. Trump is spry, you know, for someone his age, 74. He's, he, he goes up. Listen, Donald Trump does his rallies. He gets up at the lectern and he stands there for hours just ad-libbing and talking about whatever he feels like talking about. He loves it. The dude loves talking. I mean, he's a salesman. He's a marketing genius. Joe Biden hides in the basement, speaks for a few minutes from a teleprompter, and then leaves right away and takes no questions. Okay, he took questions recently, but it was like they were they 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 weren't just. This is my favorite. Uh, somebody somebody said this. They weren't just teeing up the ball for him to hit out of the park. They were walking the ball to the edge of the stadium, throwing it over the edge, and then yelling, "You hit a home run, Joe!" The questions were straight up like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm exaggerating by the way, but they, they would say things like, "Donald Trump is really bad." He's done a really bad job on COVID. What do you have to say about that? You're right. It was a bad job. Next question. It's like they were just saying it for him. But what if we had this? Uh, First, again, to repeat, hashtag Joe must show. I guess that's the one we're all using now or whatever to uh, get a viral trend going to get Joe Biden to appear on the Joe Rogan podcast with Donald Trump. If you can't get Joe Biden, though, what about Kamala? She's apparently in charge, right? She's the one who's going to be leading the administration because Joe Biden's going to be too busy reading teleprompters. I don't know. I mean, I'd prefer Joe Biden for sure. He's the top of the ticket. But eh, let's be real. Kamala Harris is the one who's really in charge. We all know there was an article that was written saying Joe Biden's VP will be the most powerful vice president in history because they're telling us their goal. 
They got Joe Biden. It was the best they could do. Kamala's out. Then they put her in. Maybe that was the plan. I have no idea why they're doing what they do, but I'll tell you, it really seems like the establishment is spiraling out of control. Maybe this instability is, it's beyond just a weakness. It's all a facade, the strength, the polls, everything we're seeing. It's just a thin veneer and beneath it, a quivering mass of fractured putty. The Democrats have become nothing, nothing. I mean, what's their plan? What are they campaigning on? What do they represent? Certainly not union members, not the working class, not progressives. It's just a corporate shell of, of, of fake plastic candidates. And they can't even tell us who's actually in charge. We get it, though. I think we knew the whole time. Call it a Freudian slip. Call it an accidental admission. I think Kamala Harris is going to be in charge, and we all know it. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all next time.